Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello everyone, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear magazine's editor, and I'm joined by Rowan Horncastle and the two Ollies, Ollie Q and Ollie Marriage. And this is one of those podcasts where a story is just too special. We couldn't just lob it in with all the rest of the stuff that's going on in the new issue. It deserved a podcast all of its own. So this is the cover story in the new mag. It is, of course, the fact that at long, 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 long last, we've actually driven the Aston Martin Valkyrie. I say we, but... We three haven't, but Ollie Marriage over here has. He's looking a bit smug. Lucky boy. It's lucky boy. (laughs) And Chris Harris, of course. So the two of you went out to Bahrain, uh, drove it on the road, drove it on the Bahrain F1 track. um, And Ollie did manage to corner Chris Harris and talk about their shared experience um, in one of the more unusual locations we've ever recorded. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. But before all that, um, we thought we'd just lay lay the scene really for this car. It's extraordinary. It's unlike any other. And it's been a long time coming. So um, the Valkyrie, where did it all begin? Who knows? It's lost in the midst of time. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah, I think this is a poster car which literally straddles generations. Mm. Yeah. It's taken so long. But the poster's faded now. It's <laughs> been on the wall so long. <laughs> 2016, I think, that we first... That was the first announcement, wasn't it? I think the history of the car goes back to... 2013. Okay, so that's interesting. 2016 is when we first saw it. 2023 is when we've eventually driven it. So that's, what, seven years, right? I mean, is that that bad seeing as you know a, a standard production car four five year production cycles i don't know i think it's because they did it all in front of us in the public eye they announce it and we're following every single stage of this car's development you know willing it into production um so it's been a sort of very public gestation yeah i think if they announced a kia picanto seven <laughs> years early we knew it would get but this came with some pretty hefty headlines mm-hmm. of saying we're going to basically make a formula one car that you can buy and have yeah. F1 performance for the road. Well, an F1 car that has a screaming high revving V12 in the back of it. That so sounds actually, like an F1 car should. Yeah, yeah. Better than an F1 car. Yeah. But also, um, it had a big name associated with it. Adrian Newey at the time. the You know, the mastermind of the fastest F1 cars. So, you know, our ears were pricked when we knew that this was, was coming. So it does feel like quite a long time before we've driven it. But of course they haven't been alone either, have they? Because Mercedes famously did it with the AMG one as well and they were trying to they were trying to package an F1 powertrain to get it on. Whereas it feels like the Valkyrie, because of Newey's involvement, is all more about the aerodynamics. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a it, it was a mad idea then. And actually, you know, if you look back to the pictures of the car that they revealed, it didn't even have it wasn't even called the Valkyrie back in 2016, was it? The catchy, name came... Catchy AMRB001? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like a code name. Very, yeah, yeah. very sort of military that, spec. That mm. that reeks of Aston Martin and Red Bull couldn't agree on the name at, at that point. <laughs> so they just AMRB1? Yes, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah. And then the, the, the name was born. And then we've we followed it all the way through. And there's been... Well, I had a passenger ride at Goodwood. That was back in 2021. There's been various sort of reveals of the car along the way. Um, I mean, the core idea, Newey's idea, has 
remained that it's a very much an aerodynamics focused car that is road legal. Pretty much identical to the model they did reveal, like you say, Jack, without headlights and without proper doors in it. Yeah. Seven years ago. So the, the concept has remained, but they just must have been through engineering hell yeah. trying to get everything under the skin to agree with each and other. And can I just put... It looks nuts. It's still it's the first yeah. car when you saw it and you could see through it. You could see the aerodynamics that were on display. It was like you've just, you know, opened up Agent Newey's head like a tin can and gone, that's what's inside it. Because it, it is a compact car. It's only it's about the same size on the road as a Porsche 911, but it's like 200 millimetres lower. It's only just over a metre tall, so it's about the same height, maybe a fraction taller than a Ford GT40. Yeah. So it is a tiny-looking little thing, very insect-like. And you look if you look above from above, you look down on it, you've got these fantastic sort of Aston-ish shapes, but if you get really down and look under it, it's just all space. It's all space, it's isn't all it? all openings and, you, and gaps. You can see that... Um, because he's a race car designer, knew he started with that um, the passenger cell, didn't he? That needed to be tiny and a yeah. sort of teardrop shape, and then you can hang some suspension and some wheels off exactly. the side. And of there it. were, yeah. I understand, internal debates about how much you could point the driver and passenger at each other. So, because you do, you sit all both seats are slightly aimed in towards each other at like two degrees. But originally, I think Newey's design had them in at five degrees, pointing to one each other. So you're going to be slight, a slightly offset driving position. Mm. But you don't actually notice it. They don't notice the two degrees at least. In but, reality. It's, but it's not spacious inside. No, fair it's to say. tiny. It's absolutely <laughs> tiny. Well, hang on. It's... Before you even get inside, how do you get in an Aston Martin Valkyrie? Do you need <laughs> a climbing license to lower yourself in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bum yeah. first. Yeah, yeah. It's all quite. Yeah, if you went bum first, I don't think you'd ever get your legs in. <laughs> so you, you sort of I mean, the sills are quite wide, but the doors open. They actually the door mechanisms are really good because one of those weird things is door mechanisms are actually really complicated to do, but these doors shut with a really nice thunk and because they have um elect there's something in the electric motors for them they have soft close as well so what? things you don't what? expect in a lightweight hypercar soft closed doors so they're actually really nice to operate there's a little button under the side to lift them up and then Did they, they just lift spend straight all up the budget on the doors what possibly <laughs> i love how we're talking about a car that's got like enough downforce to drive on the ceiling and nearly no makes a difference a thousand horsepower we're going Oh, it's got lovely closing doors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The details well, it's, of the matter. It's those sorts of things, I think, as initial touch points for the car, you feel, oh, this feels this feels expensive. It feels much so, so it should. But yeah, and then to get in, getting in, you sort of one step, one leg. You have to take the steering wheel off first, really, and then just slide yourself down. And it's just like getting into a racing car. And then once you're in, you shut the door and you realise just how small it is because the the tub is so tight that it's not just that the seat holds you in place, but you your legs, because they come up to a slight angle, and you've got your your feet are about the same height, maybe slightly above your hips. Your your whole leg is supported. Your calf muscle sits along the tub. On either side of you, the sides of the tub and the central spar brace your legs. So you've got you you've got no choice of foot position particularly. You can in the road car at least because there are two versions of this. In the road car, you can right foot brake, but it's better if you left foot brake. In the racing version, the AMR Pro, which is a very different car, you can't. You've, your feet can only sit in one position. There's no room for your foot to go off the clutch. Or yeah. There isn't a and clutch. And is, is it this reclined seating position, Ollie, that... Um that sort of lulled you into a sleepy mood when you were driving <laughs> it on the road. Because I read your feature with fascination. It's a, it's a brilliant intro where it's like I'm, you're in sort of rush hour traffic uh, in, in this Valkyrie on the road and sort of feel like dozing off. Uh, completely. It's really, it was really alien. I mean, partly because, you, I mean, these experiences 
come around that we will probably never get to drive a Valkyrie again. And it's such a rare special occasion. So you're all hyped up for it, a bit stressed about the whole situation <laughs> and everything. But mainly because it's so noisy inside. It is so noisy. There's no we I've never driven another road car that is remotely as noisy inside. And because the engine is hard mounted to the back of the carbon tub, the carbon tub resonates like a speaker. So you're you get hard all these you're the, and you're pretty much hard mounted to yeah, the seat. Yeah. So you get all these vibrations coming through, all this noise and this what the the noise, although they supply it with ear defenders so you can talk to your passenger because it's that loud, it just lulls you and you get this white noise coming through and all this vibration and you sit there just going, oh feeling it starts to make you feel drowsy. I the think shots of you in it from the magazine, you look like a helicopter pilot. You've got <laughs> you that big you headset got, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the whole this you're in this tiny little cockpit, obviously being rattled around quite a lot. It looks like you're in some sort of military equipment. So how did other people react to it when you're on the road? Oh, I think they were just blown away by it. I think it's so exotic. Because I mean there is no other hypercar I can think of that looks more like a racing car and more extreme than that because it's so low, because of all that open space. So at nighttime in traffic, when you saw the car from outside, you just got all these um, headlights reflected underneath it. You see so much space underneath it. Yeah, we, we but, thought it had underbody neon strips <laughs> yeah. fitted, which we thought was, you know, a, an unusual optional extra. But actually, it was the headlights of the car behind you and the traffic jam just shining through. Exactly. I've never seen so, that in a photograph of a car before. It just no. makes it look so alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, the reactions for it, because everyone, you know, everyone knew it was something exotic and exciting. So you see that stuff and people just go mad for it. The headphones, are they... Are they, I think they're legally required to give they you those. Well they might well be. I think be. it's 126 decibels in the in the cabin, <laughs> it, which is yeah. a jet plane taking off. Yeah. Uh, and you're yeah. in that constantly at the traffic lights, mm. you, you are So when we're recording this, we had for the for the filming the we have never had more diffi- more difficulty filming in car because even with the microphone basically pressed up against my lips, you could hardly hear me shouting in the car and the other thing we often do we always have radios in the car so we can speak to the film team and the photographers and stuff outside unless i had the radio basically held against the ear defenders i just physically couldn't hear it you if i had it down here i couldn't hear it if it was up there just about you could pick it up was it, it like was... The, the the deaf stump man in um in the fast <laughs> show, <laughs> fast show. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're basically, Run off Holly, pull over here we're going to take a photo <laughs> drive full speed over the cliff yeah, absolutely <laughs> no problem that should be the slogan if they're not sold them already you know in an aston martin valkyrie no one can hear you scream or think <laughs> yeah, yeah. or say anything if, you're, if you've bought one of these for however many million quid it is mm. and you then think oh maybe i'll book in a driver coach maybe i'll book in yeah. sebastian vettel fernando alonso or someone you know when they're on the holidays and yeah ask for a bit of tuition maybe rent the nurburgring for a day you're not gonna hear a word they're on about you'd be off at the first corner yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so just to give people a picture of what um we actually got to do with the car out there. So we did have some quite special access to the thing. Um, you know, we're talking about driving it on the road. I think you're the only one that's I driven believe it so. yeah, uh, outside yeah. the company that's mm. driven it on the road. So that's yeah. a privilege. It is. Yeah, absolutely. That's one, one word to describe <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. privilege. Uh, um, but then also we had, um, and then you, you, that was one day. And then the next day you moved to the track, which yeah. is where Chris um, 
was at the track. Yeah, and yeah. then you had the standard car and the AMR Pro as well. And the AMR right? Pro, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so what are the main not... differences again between the, the <laughs> road well, car let's and the Let's talk car. about the similarities between the Valkyrie road car and the AMR Suggest Pro. there's not a lot. Because there are only two. It's the V12 engine is carried over and the headlights are carried over. And that is it. There is no... The carbon tub is all new. The AMR Pro race car takes away all the hybrid gubbins because the road car has an electric 140 horsepower electric motor mounted in between the engine and the gearbox to go to for so you've got hybrid although it always runs electrically the tra- the track car does away with that it's so it's it's a much purer car it also doesn't have the the very high-tech hydraulic suspension that the road car has it has a passive system so it's a much more, it is basically a racing car. Because you see it initially and you just think, oh, it's just a, it's oh, yeah, a yeah. Valkyrie with some wings downforce. on it. More, yeah. yeah, more yeah. downforce, but a bit less weight. You know, the classic kind of track-only formula, yeah. but it's an entirely different well, thing. As soon as you see them next to each other, you realise the difference because the road, the race car is is much bigger. Mm. It's nearly 400 millimetres longer overall. Yeah. They've, they've, had, they've changed the, the whole back end of the car and the tub is completely new. Does it lose all the beauty of the road car? Because we were, you know, it's such a cool... I think, it, in a way, it does. Because if you like road cars, and I really admire any... As soon as you've got to get the, a car through legislation to get it onto the road, and you can make it beautiful and pure and everything else, I think that's a cleverer thing, almost, than just doing a race car. So for me, it does... It loses a bit of that just because they've made it as extreme as a racing car. So it sort of becomes a sort of language you're more familiar with. And a day on track with Chris Harris, you've got a full, proper... It's a big boy circuit, Bahrain. It's it fast. It's yeah, got yeah. proper ca- crash barriers, which means that there can be big accidents to be had, especially in fast mm. cars like this. But you were basically just jousting we and did, playing we, with each other We did, for a few laps, day. we had one of those experiences which will never get repeated, which was him in the AMR Pro and me in the standard Valkyrie chasing each other around the circuit, just learning where one is faster than the other. And that was just amazing because in a straight line although the road car is quite a bit heavier it's about a quarter of a ton heavier because their original one-to-one power-to-weight ratio that the Valkyrie was going to boast has sort of gone out of the window over time and it's now a 1270 kilo car but it's got a bit more power and because it's got that hybrid system so, so, so you get 11... 140 so it's 1155 horsepower I think and so in a straight line there's very little in it also because the road car of course got less drag than the race car so, and the one thing that stands out about the accelerate about the Valkyrie for me was its high-speed acceleration for road car. It just never lets up. I've driven some very quick cars. I've driven a McLaren Senna GTR around Bahrain, and I think from memory that was doing about 280, 290 kilometers an hour down the main straight, so it's 180, 185 miles an hour. The Valkyrie was doing 320 clicks all day long. Ooh, it's, wow. That's 200 miles an hour, 205 miles an hour or more. It's it just doesn't stop accelerating. So, so where was the AMR it's, Pro? Um, where was it picking off the the standard car? Then? Everywhere it, else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everywhere else. It was it was a notable difference between what when you quit the car well, on yeah. slicks yeah. and you give it proper downforce and weight and all the other race technology. Just how much faster it is because under brakes it would it was it was they just gave it so much more grip, cornering apex speeds so. Every time Chris got in front and was was turned in, I was like, and I nearly outbreak myself several times thinking, I reckon I can do it this time. Yeah, no. But I'm on a Cup 2R tyre and he's on a racing slick. Yeah. And it just shows you the difference there is in between those two. 
and then coming out of the corners the the one of the Valkyrie one of the things we, that Chris and I will talk about in in that is that the fact that the Valkyrie road car hasn't been as comprehensively developed as we maybe think it should have been and so the traction control feels a bit clumsy yeah. and so you when you come out of corners it sort of cuts the power quite hard and you have to be very careful with the throttle and managing it and switching um, everything off is switching everything off is a bit, a bit risky <sighs> Bit risky, you know. The three million quid price tag rotates around you behind your eyeballs quite a lot. Three million quid, no drift mode. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, um, but you, yeah, you do. It was a proper pinch yourself moment. So for excitement and this, the noise just going on, the gearbox changing gears and howling down the straights. I've got this image of of, of you and Chris coming back into the pits after your jousting session and just jumping out of the cars and sort of chest bumping each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it big, was a bit big, of a buzz because you do yeah, yeah. Like, sweating it, adrenaline. Because when you I, Top Gun Maverick Because you never really <laughs> understand the noise it's making unless you're outside of the car. So as I almost it makes the noise is so good from the pit lane, but then when you've got another car either straight in front of you or behind you, you get all that noise and drama as it comes past and it just even in the noise of the cop inside your own cockpit another one coming past and that exhaust being sort of six foot away from you as it comes past. (laughs) It's just incredible. Everyone listening, you can get a flavour for that if you head to our YouTube channel. There are two separate films because we've got Chris in the car um, on track and then Ollie's also done a follow-up film on the road with him on track too. And the noise is insane. It's been yeah. a nightmare to sort out in the mix and the edit. Yeah. I believe that we had three microphones on Ollie and we couldn't pick him up <laughs> with any of them. Yeah. So, so uh, bear, bear, I need to bear with to the, shout bear louder. With the sound edit, but it's going to be... I'm I'm so excited about seeing this video. And just to be clear, it's on the... Um, Chris with a cameo from Ollie on the track and then Ollie drives the car on the road as yeah. well. Two separate videos. So, yeah, you're not going to be short of Valkyrie content. Two bites on of that the, Valkyrie on, cherry. Oh, but yeah. also there is the... the, the um, the magazine article to read as well. But we do have your conversation with Chris as a bit of a debrief after two days away, which happened at 36,000 feet. It yes. was a, a podcast. <laughs> Just uh, this is a mile high it. club podcast. Well, our timings were a bit tight because we had one day with the car and then we literally flew out first thing the next morning and we'd... And we didn't finish shooting at the track until like a 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. And we were all absolutely exhausted. So we collapsed and I, we said, right, let's, we'll just record it on the plane on the flight home. So we did. It's lovely yeah. of you to have Chris on your private jet, Ollie, I think. That is how these things work, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. That's how the actual owners, that's, that's a very Aston Martin Valkyrie owner thing to do, surely. <laughs> jet in, jet out. Yeah, so a li- little bit of background noise, probably, but yeah. how cool to be, to be recording Not as much this. background noise as there was in the car. Well, there we go. <laughs> it, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all to do with the story but should we should we go and listen to that conversation now let's do it i think we've laid the scene haven't we yeah chicken right. or fish that's what here's, we want for flight attendants it's chris and ollie <laughs> would you like an orange juice or champagne sir seatbelts on so right something of a top gear first here we are currently at thirty-five thousand feet but yesterday we were driving the Aston Martin Valkyrie around Bahrain. So I'm here with Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm going to keep my voice down. Ollie's yelling, but we're in the, we're in an aeroplane at the moment. Going to upset people sleeping next to us. <laughs> exactly. So uh, quite an exciting day yesterday. I'm feeling a bit tired though. How are you? Yeah, I think these vehicles always take it out of me. Um, but I think there was a moment between the two of us when you were in the road going Valkyrie and I was in the AMR Pro. We were chasing each other for some camera work and it's one of those pinch yourself moments where I think we'll probably have a beer or a random 
cup of tea, bump into each other in 10 years' time, and that'll be one of the things that we look at each other and think, yeah, I remember that, that was special. Yeah. Um, uh, it really was uh, to see the, the road car working ahead of me and, and rolling and sliding a bit, and I had quite a bit more mechanical and aerodynamic grip available, but to drive those two around the Bahrain circuit, between us we had well over 2,000 horsepower, um, and it just reminds you that the world's a fairly bonkers place at the moment. I'm sort of processing it all at the moment. I have to say, I'm processing yeah. a car that I've heard so much about, I, I almost know too much about. You know, a little knowledge is so dangerous. It reminds yeah. me that going into this drive, I didn't know enough, and I, I thought I did. And knowing, thinking you know a lot is bloody dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I think what surprised me, I didn't really appreciate how much difference there was between the standard Valkyrie, standard, and the AMR Pro, because it's, it's even down to the wheelbase. The wheelbase of the AMR Pro is 30, 350 mil longer they're, they're, than the They should have it's different completely names. different cars. They look different. Yeah. They're different lengths. In fact, they did, in fact, they said the only things carried over are the front and rear headlights and the engine. Apart from that, you know, the entire tub is different. Everything about that car is different. I have to assume that what happened was that the, the pro version of the Valkyrie, once the project had been taken on by Multimatic, was, you know, was changed into something quite different. Do you think Based it was designed to go racing? And then... I think, I think ultimately they decided to morph it into a racing car, yeah. Yeah. And when that was a stillborn project, um, you ended up with the AMR Pro. We'll talk about the two differently, but, but I'll just leave one thought with you. I think one of the great, one of the immutable um, qualifiers of a great road car is that it was once a stillborn racing car. Carrera GT, F40, you could argue a bit of F50. How many cars are there that should have gone racing? 959, 288 GTO. I think that might play to what I thought about both cars, let's say. <laughs> But what was, what was interesting, we, we both came at it from slightly different angles because you, you drove the AMR Pro first and then got into the Valkyrie, whereas I'd spent the previous day driving the Valkyrie on the roads of Bahrain and then just sort of slowly built up to it. So did you feel slightly disappointed getting from the AMR Pro into the start well, of the road the, car? I've got to be careful where this is going to be released. I don't want to reveal all my, all my thoughts. Yeah. But I do, I do think that I can't deny that. No, I, I, I was... I was I wasn't underwhelmed by the Valkyrie road car when I got in it. I was just baffled initially. Uh, being underwhelmed is, is when you drive something and it doesn't quite meet your expectations. This was, I just couldn't believe how far wider the market was initially. I just thought, what's this all about? It was on a worn Michelin Cup 2 tyre. You'd had a good fang in it. And I'd already spotted the fact that you were struggling to make the tyres work. And when I drove it, I just didn't feel very connected. It felt crazy fast in a straight line. Yeah. Very long brake pedal that initially took a bit of time because that was offset against quite a short throttle pedal. So you and you, and I was I was left foot braking, which I don't normally do. So my right foot was sort of moving through a sort of small movement area. Then my left foot was going backwards and forwards. I had vast amounts of vibration coming through the seat, MVH. The steering wheel was way too low, it was almost on my knees. So I, I wasn't like comfortable and in the car. That was as high as it went as well. Yeah, so I, had this, I just had this, what the hell's gone on here? Mm. And, I, and that was, there's two reasons for that. One, some of those, some of those criticisms 
stand, regardless of what happens the rest of the day for me. Some of them, or many of them, in the context, as you said, of the AMR Pro, I've driven this sort of pure racing car, really. Racing cars happen to be quite good on circuits. Yeah. Road cars happen to always be a bit crap. You take the best road car ever, you know, a LaFerrari or a P1 would be feel fairly lazy after an AMR Pro. And the Valkyrie just didn't work on the Cup 2. So we came in, you'll remember, and I, they bolted on a set of Cup 2Rs, and I had a totally different vehicle. Yeah. I really did. So what? this is the, the most niche piece of consumer advice I'll ever <laughs> offer. But if you're going to buy a Valkyrie and they offer you Cup 2s, don't junk them. Put yeah. the Cup 2R on and don't last very long. So I think you summed it up yesterday. You said it felt like it was on winters when we were on the Cup 2s. It just, yeah, you felt, almost felt like the car was just moving around on the tread block and the sidewall was squishing. So what, what, I suppose I felt I had, I had undamped suspension. In other words, what I, I, in my mind, I had this, the cleverest hydraulic suspension ever devised. This remarkable system that can alter the ride height, the aerodynamic qualities of the car, and could deal with bumps, and I was, I was just so keen to experience it. But what I felt was I had a platform that was sort of reacting against a tyre that was all over the place, and it didn't, it didn't give me stability, it didn't give me confidence, it didn't even give me a sense of connection. At the very least, when a car's too stiff and a bit crap, at least it feels a bit go-karty, and you can wrestle it, you know? Yeah. This didn't even feel like something I could wrestle. It felt like if I wrestled it, it would hurt me. Yeah. But they bolted, I'll be careful here, you know, it was, it was a real eye-opener, and I, I have to say, I walked back in, and when they asked the people, go, what did you think? I was like, oh, and I dragged you over and went, not sure about that at all. That yeah. really isn't what I expected. Um, but they bolted on this Cup 2R, and it was different, baby. Yeah. Was it perfect? No. Um, again, the AMR Pro had spoiled it for me. I'll talk about that car in a minute. That was a real surprise. Uh, but I still had the sense this was a, a bit of a landmark product, just yeah. for the way it chewed up the straights, stopped, turned, and, got, and just got going again. It felt mighty, and the noise and the sense of occasion. It's just a piece of ear-bending theatre on wheels, which is what a hypercar's supposed to be. Yeah, I think, I'd, in my head, I had thought before I drove it that it was going to be more of a chassis car than an engine car. I'd sort of lost sight of the Cosworth V12 aspect in the Adrian Newey Formula One it's interesting though, isn't it? Because it stands to reason that 1,157 horsepower is going to dominate anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, but I understand your point of view that we, and I think that it again proves that if you want a car to work on road and track, it, you, you basically have to make a road car mm. and then you have to just suffer those compromises on the track. Yeah. Yeah, so because you always... if you can't with that thing which looks bananas when you see it on track with hollow spaces underneath it and it doesn't have ridiculous. it still doesn't have the aerodynamic performance of a really good or even a kind of quite a good racing car it doesn't and the tyres it's the most tyre limited car you'll ever drive yeah there's no tyre available for it yeah it's, it's got a 325 section Michelin rear it probably needs something beginning with a 4 I'd have thought to be actually to actually deal with what it's got to deal with. Yeah, through corners, but in a straight line, second gear, it would. Yeah, hook you, up can, and it, just you can. Go. I don't know how torque limited it was. It was definitely torque limited in first. Mm. Second gear, maybe no torque limiting, but that's that's the lovely corollary of that normally operated engine. If yeah. it turbocharged, it'd be different. Let's mm. talk about the engine. I mean, bloody hell, Ollie, what what a thing! I think both the reason we're both a bit flat is yeah, we've had a four or five hours kip, got up to get on the plane and leave, but. 
spent six, seven hours in those cars yeah. yesterday. It's just, it's just absolutely blown my mind. Mm. Above, above four, it gets going. Above seven, it's world class. Above nine, it is, I think in road car terms, a unique experience until mm. we drive a T50. Yeah. Um, I can't think of another car I've seen 200 miles an hour in. <laughs> On a racetrack. On a racetrack. I know, it's bizarre. And that was doing 320 clicks plus down the main straight. It was unbelievable. And and stopping repeatedly. Mm. Um, And that pedal, I like the fact the pedal started out long, that brake pedal, and it stayed long. It didn't didn't actually It was consistent. Um, But the engine, I suppose what needs to be remembered about the engine is it does fit into the category of something like a Coro GT. It's much more spectacular sounding from the outside than the inside. From the inside, it's got a bit of a flat plane sound. Not saying it's boring, not disappointing, but it's just, it's a motive, brutal, quite workmanlike, yeah. metallic hammering noise, isn't it? So it's a lot of valve gear. Yeah. On, on the road, because I spent a long time in it the day before on the road, and on the road, it, you just go, it's just vibration and harshness, and, yeah. it's, and it's very, very loud. So they supply it with a set of cans for driving it on the road and you absolutely need them. Oh, you wouldn't want it in here, you want foamies in your ears or or you'd want to have a, you could just have a Peltor, you know, a Stilo rally rally style intercom arrangement within ear earphones, you'd be fine. That would get you south France. The vibrations at high speed, or high RPM, were were quite surprising to me and they really were pronounced. Right up your coccyx. Yep. I think they, they felt lesser to me because I'd at low revs on the road, you'd been much, I, well, I suppose because you're not concentrating on the driving so much, I'd been even more aware of them on the road. And then at high revs, it actually felt smoother to me. But I didn't drive the AMR Pro, which you did, and said was The AMR smoother. Pro was smoother in terms, yeah. of, in terms of MVH from, the, from the, the idea of the engine being against the tub. It was smoother. Um, yeah. Look, there's but, some stuff that, that probably needs to be acknowledged. I think the, on the road car, it just felt like a... It feels to me on on track when you're using it, trying to use all the performance. It's a car that is 8.8 tenths finished. It's not. It's a calibration exercise that should be ongoing to me. I just I thought the ESP was good, but not not brilliant. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't quite get to a setting where I just thought I could hang it there could and leave it, it there. Yeah. Well, the truck could trust it, but it was a lot of intervention and quite sort of. Especially on corner exit. Quite an unsophisticated yeah. intervention. The gearbox timings were, were slow. Yeah. Were slow. And, that's, and, and for me, that's normally a sign that you, you, you get to the really fast whap, whap, gear changes in those applications when you've spent a long time doing it. Yeah. I thought the balance of the car was, as we drove it, was infinitely adjustable, mm. very conservative, basically, you know, medium speed if you lobbed it in it just sort of understeered and you couldn't really neutralise it with your throttle because I think partly because we're both utterly intimidated by that power figure with the fact there's one car for everyone to drive in the next week but isn't it telling that both of us I think have jumped in LaFerraris and P1s and just gone off and just gone yeah, and whacked them about but this didn't even occur to me to do it with this car that's telling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I did for one for one or two laps, turn it to zero, and it's when it goes, it went very, very quickly indeed. Um, I found it quite intimidating. I found it trickier almost in low speed corners because in low speed corners it was very 
if you if you had got the technique wrong, and I'd have a tendency to get on the throttle again too soon, it would really push wide into understeer quite quickly, and you couldn't. If it felt it was a lot of movement. Just well, it's funny, isn't it? I, I tend to get into most cars, drive them regardless of power, drive them a bit, get my idea of what the front and the back of the car does quite quickly, and then I just then I find my quiet space mm. away from prying eyes and cameras, and I give it a go. Yeah, and that's what I build the rest of the day on. I didn't even do that in the Valkyrie. Mm. Felt inappropriate. The steering wheel position yeah. was the steering wheel position and shape and size was so inappropriate for starting a car around. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. So, uh, but, Again, it really is a tiny part of what this car should be about. I don't, it's almost embarrassing to reduce it to that. But I think it's, it's a telling point that neither of us has got in and thought, I'll give it a go. Yeah. AMR Pro is interesting for me because that seemed to me like the chocolate fireguard. Actually, no, that was the very rare, expensive chocolate fireguard because the Valkyrie itself could be considered a chocolate fireguard. This was like the niche chocolate fireguard by Chanel <laughs> or, you know, Louis Vuitton. And it was actually a thing of quite some joy. Well, I, I know you didn't drive it, but it, but it was, it's a folly, you know, it doesn't have a number plate, although I'm absolutely convinced they will end up with number plates. The, it doesn't have the complications of the Valkyrie, it doesn't have the fancy hydraulic system with the suspension and self-leveling, it just basically is a, a Multimatic race setup with a very trick damper. But, you know, this is a car that was designed to race at the moment until quite recently. It has a bit less power, nearer a thousand horsepower, but none of the hybridity. Uh, it starts in an odd way, effectively to take the clutch out of the equation. It starts with an electric motor bolted onto the back of the gearbox, which just gets you going, and it bump starts itself every time. So you don't really get to f sort of wang it off the line. Like you might want. I watched you from behind wanging the Valkyrie Roker off the line. Thought, I can't do that. They must think I'm an absolute knob. I just keep going <laughs> electrically and then go. But it. It's just a thousand horsepower normally after racing V12 in a in a something that weighs not you know, about a ton, maybe a bit more than a ton. It's yeah, a very pure. six kilos. It's quarter of a ton lighter. Very than pure driving experience with a better driving position. So I was lower. Steering wheel was right at my chest, so I could see the screen on the middle of the wheel, which I couldn't do in the Valkyrie Road car. It was right down by my chin, my knees. And I just thought, it, I think I always thought those track day things were a bit of folly. My argument being that you could just buy a dedicated racing car and um, and then just go and beat, and beat them. But this, God, it, when it gets going, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's just LMP1 fast in places and it's it just magnificent sound. And when the revs rise, just the way that torque, you, you begin to just sing. I found myself crying with laughter. You know, there's, the car was a bit understeery, but that's a setup issue. It's got infinite setup. You can do whatever you want with it. Not a car to slide around. But I, if I was a zillionaire, I'd have to ask myself, how could I repeat that experience? Normally aspirated V12 in effectively a prototype with a load of downforce. Yeah. There aren't many. Group C cars. Three, three, three SP Ferrari, yeah. or you know, what is that? There's not much out. Um, so yeah. that was a real surprise. I thought to myself, made me smile, just made me grin, made me get a little bit emotional. I thought, blimey, I won't drive one of these again, and the noise it was making around the track. And normally I'm a bit more seduced by the, the ambition of a road car. But with this, I have to say that the AMR Pro stuck with me a bit more. I didn't drive the Valkyrie on the road like you did, you did the road element. And actually looking at the, the package of the car, normally I'd be very envious of you, but I wasn't. 
because I, I just, it's one thing about the main, I suppose the two things about the Valkyrie that I don't get, having driven it, the interior package is ludicrous. Yeah, it's not it's, even it's just not, Do you know, I found a, sto a phone storage, the hole in the passenger seat, where, you, where the seat belts come up from, no, is the only place to put your phone. Well, it just drives something, it just doesn't have a, there's nothing to put anything. And I so what is it? What's the purpose of the thing? It's a peacock car, just to be seen. I can that can appeal to me, I know, but it still worries me. The package is so tight, and, yeah. and not just tight for seatbelt warnings off, Ollie. That's good because I hate flying, so I'm less worried now. Um, I'm not. I'm not worried about you know a, such a pure vehicle that you can't use it on a day-to-day -day basis. That's not the argument here, but. It is so limited, and it's not just limited in terms of space. I, I think six one, six two, you're done, aren't you? Yeah. I don't. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a little man. I'm quite broad. Yeah. Well, you and I both. I'm yeah. a little man, and I, I'm shoulders wide. I was done in the car. The seat was pinching my shoulder to the point where engineers were saying, "Oh, should we make a wider seat for people?" I'm like, "Well, I'm a, flattering. I'm a, I'm a midget. So how's someone of normal size going to fit in this with their friend? It just seems unnecessary to me. Why did it have to be so bloody? I know, to get that airflow underneath through those incredible negative spaces around the front of the tub. But I, mean, I suppose the, I didn't feel the upside necessarily. How much more downforce did we get? I don't know. I'm not underwhelmed, don't get me wrong. But it just feels like one of those projects that is a little bit unfinished through the calibration of the systems or the gearbox. The engine is not unfinished. Cosworth no. deserve a massive pat on the back. They have delivered freaking masterpiece there. Um, but I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of one thing, and I wasn't sure of this before. The world's a better place because it's here. Yeah, yeah. It's a magnificent piece of kit, and if you if you've got everything, it's hard to see how you can justify not having this. Yeah, yeah. As it's an inevitable question. Then. Yeah. You've driven the AMG one as well. Yeah. What, how do they compare? Well, you saw it, didn't you, from, from, the, from the driver's seat of the Valkyrie. Mm. If you have a really, really fast car and it has an even faster version of it, you'd expect the lap time difference to be a couple of seconds. I think in the fast bends at Bahrain, so down the back straight, that naffing quick left, yeah. and you, you don't see it on telly, but you sort of go uphill, it's a left, and there's a cresting right, and then you stop to a second gear, sharp right-hander, which is then the, a, a long straight that takes you back to the last corner. I think between turning into that fast left and going up the hill and getting to the next 90 right, I took more than two seconds out of it. Oh, easy. Easy. So I couldn't believe it when so I turned might, at the bottom of that, and I had a massive moment. So we, I'd say I, the car, <laughs> to, 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 yeah. between the two cars. So I'd say the lap time difference could be as much as 10 seconds. So they're not even the same vehicles, if, yeah. you, ask, if you ask me. And I, I can't really compare them. I, I, and one of them has a number plate. One is homologated for road use. It has, you know, a high-level brake light and has, you know, a, an infotainment system, whatever that means in that car. I mean, you can't use a think above 20 miles no, an hour. No. Um, I, I, so for me, I, I would, I'd want to own the Valkyrie mm. because I could, I do like the idea of parking something on a street that other people would go, wow, look at that. I don't know what I'd do with it. I really don't know what I'd do with it. Yeah, no, neither. But, but I, I, I also, and this is, I'm uh, very honest, I found 
as a driving experience, I found the, AM, the AMR Pro totally captivating. Yeah. I was, every time I got out of it, just thought, I'm so lucky to have just experienced that. I've never yeah. experienced a normally aspirated V12 with a thousand horsepower. I just haven't. Yeah. And I felt utterly privileged to drive it like that. So, driving experience, I'd take the, AM, the AMR1, but I wouldn't, there's something about, and the other thing we haven't touched on, it's beautiful, the Valkyrie. It is. It is, it has a sort of insect-like quality with little bits hanging off it. It's, it's, um, it's at once powerful, but a bit vulnerable as well, isn't it? You, sort of, you can see big shape, big wheels, sort of solid mass, but then when, you, when your eyes move around it, you see little fillets of carbon fibre and, and little push rods and uprights, and you think, oh God, it's delicate, it's a racing yeah. car. Complicated thing to look at, but fascinating. You just keep looking at it. I love that there's that beautiful silhouette shape to it. And then you get down or you look from behind and it's just all gaps and airs and all those sort of slivers of stuff. Yeah, and, I, and in that respect, I, I don't find the, AM, the AMR1 as, as capital, AMR Pro. Yeah. Knackered, sorry. And by the way, the reason I'm saying you're so monotonal is I've got some aware of the fact we're around other people. People are going to tell me to shout in a minute. Um, uh, I suppose the other thing that needs to be touched on, acknowledging the fact that I, I really am so glad that it exists, mm. is that I think quite often these extreme vehicles are judged, rightly so, on how closely they meet the original statement of ambition from the company. And I've, history judges things quite harshly. And I, this is where the Valkyrie is in a slightly dangerous area. The road car was supposed to be nearer 1,000 kilograms. It's put a lot of weight because I think the really expensive materials were too expensive. Put bluntly, and I also think the ambition of the original idea was very difficult to deliver given normal cost considerations. And that's in the context of a two and a half million pound car. So it's heavier than it should have been. It's probably a bit slower than it should have been. It probably doesn't achieve the lap time it should have done. Or if it does, they'll fudge it. Aston Martin would fudge that statement in the context of the one of the sort of the AMR Pro, which is, keep calling it the one, sorry. The AMR Pro, which is just a, for me, is a pure racing car. Yeah. Well, we should probably touch on the on the one. So, how who's done a better job? Mercedes done a better do job with the AMG One, or Aston done a better job with the Valk, which I'm now calling a Valk rather than a Valkyrie. I'll never say Valk. <laughs> um, Aston have done a better job. Yeah, and I, ha I hadn't expected that. I've made Aston Martin plural. Aston Martin has done a better job, and I have to be brutal for two reasons. The Aston Martin is a more is a more exciting car. Well, I don't underestimate how exciting the engine is in the one. But the the Valkyrie is is at once more extreme, but actually a bit more finished to me as well. I was surprised by the one, and also I it broke twice on me in two vehicles. I have to judge it on that. Valkyrie, fair play. We hammered the crap out of two cars. You drove one on the road as well, and it didn't. Had no faults. So the no, car we I had on the road then went straight onto the track the next day on those same tyres. Yeah, so they were good as gold. And although we yeah we then switched to a Cup 2R, which made quite a transformative difference as far as I was 
I was concerned in, ter- instead of, in terms of, not just in terms of grit, but in terms of sort of the communication of it. Um, that, was, that was much, imp- I was impressed with it. But the, yeah, well, I haven't driven a, an AMG one as a comparison, though. No, it's, it's a, I mean, the, Val- the Valkyrie is on track. It is a very, it's a driving device that you have to drop into its way of doing things. They don't get frustrated by the fact that gear change is a bit slow. The fact the chassis might feel not like a normal, conventionally sprung, suspended sports car. You know, you you, you have to adapt your driving style to the Valkyrie and let it do its thing. You know, you let it take the performance out of the circuit that will blow your mind. If you try and grab it by the scruff, you come away disappointed because you'll probably crash it or you'll ask so much of it, uh, or your brain won't quite stop and think, this thing's going so fast, maybe I shouldn't ask any more of it. And the AMG one is not dissimilar. I would would suggest that most drivers would find the new GT3 RS more impressive as a a driving experience, because it's just more conventional and it it gratifies more easily. But that's, but I'm not sure hypercars should gratify more easily. They should be complicated, weird, a bit wrong, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like the great comedians, you know, the, the great figures in our lives. They hold secrets you don't want to fucking know about. <laughs> and, and, I, and so I suppose that's really, that does, I don't, I don't begrudge a hypercar having some quirks. It's just if the quirks overpower the experience, which is why sometimes I come back to stuff like the, the basics of where you sit. I cannot understand why the, you can't move the steering wheel up a bit in a Valkyrie. It would it would wreck my experience of the car if every time I got in it, I go, why is that? Why is that there? I don't want that there. And, and the AMG One is even worse. Its driving position and its driving environment is completely baffling. You've got a seat that you just fall out of the whole time. Whereas, at least in the Valkyrie, you don't. Like, these things sound so mundane, but they're pretty fundamental to enjoying yeah. the car. No point in giving us the best chassis on the planet mm. if you're swelling about the cabin like a you know a ball in a pond. It's just... I mean, I was quite. Quite impressive. You, you felt. I mean, we're not the tallest guys in the world, but my head, at least, didn't feel too claustrophobic in the car. But every other part of me, you felt. You know, the the tub was pushing against your left shin, and the centre spar was on the right. I don't know about. Well, you didn't drive the other one, did you? But I don't know about you. I could just about right foot brake in the road car. Yeah. In the in the pro, I couldn't. I had to left foot brake in the pro because I just had nowhere for my left foot to go. Uh, and I smashed it against the tub for as long as I could, and it started to hurt, so I just gave up and left the brake. Yeah. They're, they're, look, they're, both of them are a folly, and I'm a great fan of follies. I love the ambition, and I think, I think, let's talk about the road car, really. The, the Pro is a, the Pro is a, is, a, is a road, is a track car that's a stillborn race car that anyone that has the money should buy, okay? That's, that's a pretty big endorsement for me, but I don't know where you repeat that experience. Unless you can go, when was the last V12 prototype that would be as quick as that? The BMW from what, 98, 99, was it around then? There was a V12, but that wouldn't see where this thing had gone, I don't think. Um, bearing in mind, you know, they, when this car was tested, it was going quicker than the WEC, you know, the, the top WEC class down at Bahrain. It's properly quick. So I, I think that's unrepeatable at the moment. So if you've got the money and you love going to the track and money isn't an object, buy one. I really would. That's a great surprise. I thought I was going to sit here and say, what were they doing with that? That was just a way of making some easy cash out of very rich people and making them buy two cars. I got that wrong. So I apologise for that. The, 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 the road car 
it's still a buy. And I went into this thinking it wasn't a buy. It's a buy because there's nothing else like it. Because I suspect that someone's going to fix it. I think it doesn't need it doesn't need fundamental fixing. It's all there, just needs finishing. It's a bit like I suspect your school reports were, Ollie, when you were younger. You know, he could, he could. <laughs> full of it's full of the conditional tenses. He <laughs> could, he might. And I, uh, I just think it just, just, just the, like the finishing touches, the the sort of finesse. That, and I hate to say this, it's the finesse that separates the Porsches and Ferraris in this world from the rest. Just know that if that was if that car had a Porsche badge on it, you would have been sitting there going, within 10 minutes you'd have been going, right, if I go between traction two and one, I can just let it sit there and it will just brrr and take me out and make me feel like a hero. That that finesse isn't there on that car. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't make it any less brilliant. To some people it might make it more appealing because it's got that rough edge to it. And yeah. people love a rough edge. You know, brands like TBR built an entire reputation on basically not being finished. So I, I, I really admire it. I, I think the engine is just spectacular. And there are a few times when I was sitting behind you and we were in, in a queue to go, go through a corner for a camera, and you would give it the potatoes from standing start. And I, you could see the energy coming out of the exhaust pipe. It's this heat. And the, couldn't even see the top of the car. It was so extreme. And the noise, the noise above what, nine, 10,000 RPM from behind. I mean, you know, the, if there was an LFA and a Carrera GT having sex anywhere near, you wouldn't know they were there, mate. You know, <laughs> quote me on that. There is a spectacular motor vehicle. We're really lucky to have driven it. It's not the last word in being finished um, but it works you know and it really does work I don't, from what we've experienced I'll leave it like this if you said to me drive this from London to Nice I'd say I'd rather not but that would be for my ears not because I think it wouldn't make it there I think it would make it there I'm not sure how much I'd enjoy the experience with all the noise and all the other shit that comes with it and the packaging and the fact I couldn't put a bag in it. I thought my view before I drove it would be that I would desperately want to drive it all the way there, but I'd be fearful that it wouldn't make it. Mm. Is that a fair way to summarise it? That's a nice way to summarise it. There you go. Cool. Right, can I go and have another beer? Thank you. Yes, you can. Cheers, Ollie. Bye-bye. Cheers, dude. Okay, so not... Quite the slam dunk we were maybe expecting for to say. I, I think so. I think the uh, poor Aston Martin in a way. We know the financial straits they they've been in over the years, and I think they've spent the time. They had the time with the car, but they probably haven't had all the development budget. And I think they probably had to make some compromises here or there, and cut sh- and the development. They've got it to a state they're happy with, but as Chris said, if this was Porsche or Ferrari, they would have taken it further. But also, these two, especially with the AMG One and the Valkyrie, have these companies bitten off a bit more than they could chew? Or did they bite off more than they could chew? The AMG One hasn't come across as a well, massive success. I think success. that's the that surprises mm. me more, actually, is the fact that we did have difficulties with it, and that's Mercedes mm. who have struggled to make it work with a similar time frame. Aston Martin struggling to make it work and actually coming up with a car which on the day was more reliable and worked absolutely worked fine is is a is a great achievement. I think that's what makes these cars even more special, even more of a moment because even though they're both flawed in their own individual ways, 
because of the nightmare they've been to develop, no one will ever do it again. No yeah. one will ever try and to put this much And we'll look back F1 on cars like this, I think, and we'll road. go, it almost, the flaws almost make it more distinctive and more desirable because you they it's they give it the character to sort of say yeah the, this was a nightmare to develop this it was yeah. really they, they tell the story it was, of its gestation yeah. which was took longer than expected was harder than expected required compromises here and there and and i think you know with this car it started with such a pure vision that for them to see it all the way through to production, I, you know, you got to take your hats off because when Newey was sitting there in his garage sketching this thing, you know, it was just, it was basically a weekend sort of passion project for him. Oh, I've always wanted to make a road car. Let's do some drawings. And it's taken this long, this many people, this much money to get it through to this point. So I sort of feel lucky to be alive that it that it exists. And, it's a better yeah. world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you see the effort it. that's gone involved, but also the details that are involved with it. When we're getting to this era of EVs and shared platforms and everything fighting for a bit of differentiation, there are so many points that you mm. pick out. I haven't driven the car, probably never will, but I saw a video of it on Instagram the other day with the window wiper on. And I just thought that was amazing. Have you seen the movement of it? It's well, looking at your picture now. It is well, it's big, isn't it? It's, it's like a, a mop single, going yeah. across the screen. And I just, in the engineering needing that. But, Ollie, you must have some nuggets and top well, Trumpy design bits that you picked up having yeah, been around yeah, the car for two days. Yeah, yeah, we had, um, we've done a spread on the sort of some of the tech details behind it in the magazine. There's a couple I really liked, one of which is the front badge, which Aston Martin were vehement. It had to still be a proper metal badge and all this sort of thing. But Adrian Newey was like, absolutely not. You stick a sticker on the front because that's how what we do for weight. So the compromise was they've came up, come up with, I think it's an etched titanium or etched aluminium badge, but it's only 40 microns thick. So it's... It I don't know fit. how big a micron is, but that sounds it's really tiny. small. Yeah, yeah. So it, but the, the, what they had to do is they had to ensure it fitted under the paint lacquer they would have to put over the top of it. So to smooth it and get it the right aero profile or whatever else it was. But the other, the other side of it is that it only weighs, I can't, it's 99.4% lighter than a standard Aston Martin badge they stick which on the Which is made of lead. Which is made of lead. How many people were umming and ahhing whether to, you know, put their, put, put their signature down for two and a half million quid for one of these things and then they told them the story about the badge and they went... Oh, oh, go yes. on, man. Yeah. That's yeah. the attention yeah. to detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it. But that it looks fantastic. Detail, and you, when you look at it, you can tell it's metal. It's sort of the way it reflects and glints mm. and stuff is great. Um, and the other one, which we haven't done a little story on, but I really liked, and I think Chris touches on in his video, is it's got a high-level rear brake light because you for road, le road legislation, you have to have that. And light technologies come on so much that you, you can make those lights tiny. So it is, it's about, it's a bit bigger than your thumbprint, sort of the light on the back. But they originally, it was going to be even smaller. But the other piece of regulation, besides the brightness of the light, is that you have to be able to fit the EU stamp logo on the light. And the stamp making tool that does the lens cover is a certain size. And it, you know, it will fit in the bottom of everyone else's light. But here, they had to make the rear light 1.8 millimetres wider to accommodate the logo from the EU. I just that, think it's those are just that's brilliant fabulous. things. And this is, the, this is the brake light that sort of sits on top of the fin, on top of the, on top of the, the air scoop, yeah, yeah. on top of the roof. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. 
I love stuff like that. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff got, that would give yeah. me a sleepless night, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then we've heard this before, but things like the rear number plate, they had massive problems with the number plate melting. So they've now got this, <laughs> because of the heat of the exhaust exit just above it, so they've got this heat shield, and apparently it was one of the most difficult aerodynamic pieces to engineer was to get the heat away from the car but work with the aero and all the rest of it they needed to so this little heat deflector to stop at all speeds the hot gas is coming around and melting the rear number i'd I'd remove it immediately because uh great (laughs) excuse when you're caught doing 150 on the m1 you know sorry officer my melted melted. (laughs) the dregs are dripping off cheese string that's been left in the sauna (laughs) (laughs) anyway um well, there's nuggets everywhere. Valkyrie nuggets galore in yeah. the magazine, but it's also a twenty nugget share box <laughs> yeah. um, in the YouTube videos. Go and devour them all. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's the Valkyrie, a car that we probably something like this we may not ever see again. So, and special thing to have followed its journey. We're fine at the end, but we're not really because I'm sure we're going to try and put it against something else if we can. Oh, we're, we're going to continue to phone up Aston Martin and badger them for another go, despite the fact that... Oh, hang on. Summer's on the way, and aren't they doing a Valkyrie Spider? Excellent. <laughs> hey. Excellent point, Ollie. Get on the blower. Right, so that's probably it. See you on the next one. See you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Top Gear magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jet says, subscribe. 